Well, good morning. Welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. Glad you can join us here this morning uh, in person, but also those of us who are joining on Zoom and via the live stream. We're joining together, um, not as, as we want to, but by God's Spirit in both places and in all ways. Well, before we begin our time of worship, we have a few announcements. Um, first, I want to invite Rob up. He has an announcement about the Benevolence Fund. Hi, as uh, Brian said, my name's Rob. Um, on behalf of the deacons, just making a quick announcement uh, about the benevol benevolence, that's a tough word to say, benevolence fund. Um, one is just, a, again, uh, Will shared a, a few weeks ago a thank you. The fund is very healthy, and so we just thank you on behalf of the congregation and the deacons and the elders uh, for being so generous, especially at year end. And then the second announcement, obviously, since it is so healthy, uh, it's available to be used uh, for whatever needs that you may have, whether it's job loss, whatever it is, uh, it's available to be used and it would be our joy to help you use it. So if you know of someone, if you yourself have a, has a need, uh, please let us know. You can let Pastor Chad know, you can let Brian know, and they will let us know and we can uh, put it to use. So thank you. Thanks, Rob. Uh, tremendous blessing to both give and receive, so please do let us know. Um, a couple other things. The youth class, there is a youth class during the service today, and uh, it's uh, going to be both here and then also online. And so if you want to go to that, feel free to go, uh, I think, believe downstairs, and they'll be there for the youth class. Also, children's worship will be today as well, and that'll just be here. And so uh, we'll dismiss for that after our prayer of invocation. So I just want you to be aware of that as well. And, uh, and then the last thing is there is, we're beginning our Wednesday night Lent class. This will be good. Um, Adonijah is gonna be leading us through the book, uh, Truth to Tell by Leslie Newbegin. So that begins this Wednesday at 8 p.m. and you can join via Zoom as well for that. Well, God calls us out of our sin, out of our rebellion. He calls us into worship and to rest in him. And so as we come and worship this morning, let's just take a few moments to prepare our hearts and ourselves to, to worship him. Good morning. Our call to worship today is from Psalm 73. Those who are here are invited to stand. There's a responsive reading, and those who are at home are welcome, uh, encouraged to sing along with us. So. God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. 
my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They are not in trouble as others are. Pride is their necklace. how to understand this. It seemed a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. You make them fall into ruin. They are destroyed in a moment, swept away by terrors. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to hear. I have made the Lord my refuge, and I may tell of your works. Let's join together in prayer. Almighty God, you have called us out of sin and wandering, out of searching into your covenant family to be your people and to worship you. And we come and worship this morning as we always do, through the self-giving and gracious invitation of your son, Jesus. And Lord, in this Lenten season, we are reminded of the short journey, that, that quick period of time that sometimes seems like the long path to resurrection. Father, that path, uh, the one of honesty and vulnerability, one of hope and expectation, one of rebellion and betrayal, one of repentance and transformation, that often challenging and faith-testing path that leads us into dependence into confession and prayer, into communion with you, Lord. And so, Lord, make us aware of your presence and lead us into resurrection life. Meet us in whatever ways we find ourselves along this path this morning. Lord, meet those of us who, who may be wrestling with questions of faith. Meet those of us who are troubled with grief and sadness. Meet those of us to endure the ways our relationships are shaken in, in need of repair and restoration. Meet those of us experiencing fatigue who are holding the longing of reconnection, who persist in a world shaped by a virus. Father, meet us in these really hard places with your strength, with your love and tenderness, with your words of invitation, calling us home to find our rest in you. Father, lead us by your word and sacrament to the word who bears our flesh and change us, make us more and more into the image of Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Well, children's, our children are now dismissed for children's worship, and Melinda is here in the back to greet them.
Well, we turn now to our time of confession and a time to move closer to those uh, wounded places, those rebellious places, those sinful places in our own hearts, in our own lives, um, not just to provoke shame, but really to meet the tenderness and the kindness of God that leads us into repentance. And so we'll do this together as a church and then have a time of quiet personal confession. This is what God told his people. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You shall not make, your, make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, am a jealous God. But we often forget you, the living God, to chase false gods and false hopes. We look to and bow down to the things that you have created or things made by human hands. Let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Now what my hands have done can save my weary soul. Now what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Now what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy work alone, O oh Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O oh Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to take a moment for a quiet confession. Gracious God, we are thankful that you came to us in our weakness, in our greatest need of rescue, while we're still sinners. You descended into the depths of our sin and death to be in our place, to raise us to new life. And we give thanks with joy in the name of Christ. Amen. 
Well, having confessed our sin and heard the words of assurance, let's stand together and hear now from Psalm 118. Out of my distress, I called the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. You may be seated. The Old Testament reading for this morning is Genesis 17, verses 1 through 7, and also 15 and 16. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations kings of peoples shall come from her. The New Testament lesson is from Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. 
inviting us to hear him and to consider who he is and to respond. And so uh, last week we saw his baptism and the introduction of like, his public ministry and the call to repent and to come to him. And today we'll hear a conversation, an important one, around the question of who he is and what it means to accept him, to, to follow him. So let me read. This is from Mark 8, verse 31 through 38. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the angels. This is God's word given for our good. I'm going to take just, just a moment to set some context, and then I want us to spend our time looking at two of the key words in the passage, the word must and the word life. So just to kind of set the context, though, Jesus is on a walk at this point in the his ministry, he is turned towards Jerusalem, and he knows where that's leading. And as this, they journey together, Jesus asks his disciples a question. Who do the people say that I am? They offer a few different answers, a few different responses. But then Jesus, after a moment, turns the question to them. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And in one of the more well-known passages in the New Testament, Peter steps forward and says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ, meaning you are the anointed one of God. You are God's true and forever king. Or as one author describes it, you are the answer, Jesus, the last and final word. Well, after receiving this confession, Jesus begins to teach them. It's like this idea of saying, you know, if, if you got this concept, if you've, if you've made, understood this, now you're ready for this new idea. You're ready for the next important point, which is this, the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite title for himself, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected, and be killed. Yes, I am the anointed king, but I am a king that's going to a cross, and we can get the sense of the shock of this by Peter's reaction, right? His strong reaction, him rebuking or scolding Jesus that this cannot be the right thing to say. But Jesus does not stop. And, and what I want us to see, this first word of this word must, he pushes the Son of Man must suffer, be rejected, and be killed. It must be. I don't know how often you hear the word must in your life, maybe at work at times, at school, at, at home. 
something must be done at a certain time, a certain application, a certain report, a certain meeting must happen. You must be on time, you must wear a certain item of clothing. Whatever comes to mind, things that must happen, we know that that means it's not optional, it's a necessity. This has to happen. And Jesus is saying that he must suffer, he must be rejected, he must be killed, and then after three days rise to new life. As we try to kind of grasp the significance of that, we can ask, why did Jesus die? There could be a number of thoughts that maybe come up. He died because the Romans were concerned that he was a security threat causing trouble. He died because the Jewish authorities were tired of what he was saying, tired of his actions, especially in the temple. He died because his disciples let him down and betrayed him. These are all part of the historic event of how or what happened. But when Jesus talks about must, this necessity, he's not talking about historical reasons. He's moving into another area of conversation, theological understanding of God's purposes. See, must invites you and me to think about God's intention, that he is acting, he's determined to redeem us, to rescue us. Must, God's gracious work of redemption must reach to the deepest points, to the bottom, to the most hidden corner. The light, if we use the image, light must shine into the most ugly, the most helpless places. You see, in his suffering and his rejection and his death, Jesus is bearing our representation. He is a substitute for us. Therefore, he must fully bear our wounds and our shame, even to the darkest places that we do not want anyone to see. He must fully identify with our twisted and selfish and light-fearing hearts, the hearts that hold on to secrets. He must. But it's not only that the must has to do with our personal experiences, our personal need. You see, when Jesus suffers, he does so because he must bear the full weight of human judgment, human understanding. You see, when Jesus suffered, when he was rejected, when he was executed at the hands of religious and political powers, the world was passing judgment on him. Jesus, you are not the way, you are not true, you are not the life. And so when he says he must, he means he not only needs to bear your depth of wound and shame and sin, but he needs to bear the world's false understandings of life. Yes, I am an anointed king, the king, says Jesus, but I am a king walking to a cross. And then he turns in the passage, we see that if you want to follow me, he's saying, then you too must walk with me to the cross. The message is not just for Peter or the disciples. Jesus turns to the crowds, anyone that would be there ready to listen. If anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. We looked at the word must, and now I want us to reflect on this word life. Life lost, found, saved, lost. It's an invitation for us to ponder this radical statement. This radical message that Jesus gives to us about life. We are to deny ourselves, to die to ourselves, and we are to follow. We are to lose our lives, lose our expectation, lose our own agendas, that we may say yes to Jesus, that we may find life in following him. Jesus says that life, enduring true life, is found in this denial, losing, and following. And then he adds a question, a question I think no matter, at least for me, how often I hear it, is a question that reaches deep into who I am about what I think life is, where life is to be found. And maybe it's the same for you. What does it profit a person to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his or her soul? What good would it do to get everything you want, but lose yourself? What can you give in return for your very life, your very self? Let me share two brief thoughts as we conclude our time, an image and then a practice. First, the image I read the other day, I came across a passage that talked about a harrow. I didn't know what a harrow was, but it comes from the idea of having a harrowing experience. A harrow is this large spike that farmers use to drag on the ground on plowed fields, and they pull this large spike and it breaks up the clods, it tears up the weeds, levels the ground for planting. And when we speak of a harrowing experience, we mean one that is hair-raising, one that's unnerving, one that cuts into us or disturbs our sense of peace or security. Harrowing. And what I want to invite us to picture of all of our farming experience, maybe, is that when Jesus asks this question, it's like this large spike that's meant to go into our hearts, into our lives. To be pulled over and to break up the assumptions to invite us even to ask questions or give our attention to where is life found? Jesus is giving us language to consider choosing better options, giving us language to describe the possible emptiness or famished pursuits that surround us, that it's possible to accumulate, possible to be successful in whatever that word means, but to lose yourself that the gaining of money or status or titles or comforts does not necessarily mean life. It's possible to gain the wrong things. And I don't know about you, but I need to hear that over and over again. That Jesus is inviting us actually to a radical freedom to choose better things. An image, now a practice as we close. The practice I encourage us to think about when we deny ourselves and follow Jesus is to rest, <laughs> to keep the Sabbath. 
How about that as some homework to rest? In the Ten Commandments, right before honor your mother and father, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, right before that list comes the fourth one, keep the Sabbath. Set aside a day, a period of time from your normal work and normal schedules and normal demands. It might not sound like dying to yourself, but rest to set aside time for worship, relationships, hospitality, reflection, rest, appreciation. This is a practice against trying to save your own life. It is a practice against trying to gain the whole world. It is a practice against controlling your own life. You see, Sabbath can stand as a defiance against the kingdom of the world that will offer us all sorts of idols about where life is found. But it's an opportunity to rest, meaning to find delight in God's provision. Delight in the rest we have in Christ. That you and me, that we are simply more than our productivity, more than our energy or ability to keep going, but that we can rest in the faithfulness and the forgiveness and the grace of God. Whoever loses his or her life for my sake will find it. This is the promise of Christ because he bore our suffering, our rejection, and our death. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are, and we thank you for your word that speaks truth to us. We thank you for the work of Christ, that he bore all of who we are to bring life to us. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus cast a look on me Give me sweet simplicity Make me poor and keep me low Seeking only the two and the privilege to participate in the sacrament of communion today. I want to invite you to stand that we can recite these words as we prepare to come to the table. The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Holy, holy, holy Lord. God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Hosanna in the highest. You may be seated. Well, this table is set by Christ for his people. So if we are those who have repented of our sin and put our faith in Christ, then come and eat. Be reminded of who we are in Christ. There was communion at the front. Uh, if you're planning on taking it, if you need it, uh, anyone need communion? They didn't gra- grab it on the end, on the way in? Okay. For all of you who are um, planning on taking it here or at, at home, I invite you to go ahead and open the communion uh, to be prepared to, to receive that. This table reminds us of what we heard in our passage. That what Isaiah looked forward to, the suffering servant, the one who was pierced for our transgressions, that would bring healing by his wounds. Jesus speaks of that when he talks about the must, that he must suffer, be rejected, and die. For to be our savior, to bring us fully into God's family without shame at his table. He must bear all of who we are. And as we eat and drink at this table, or as we are just observing this gift that God's given to us, it's an invitation to ask if we believe that. To the depth, the depth of your sin, of the shame that's over you, that Jesus sees all of that and came to take all of it upon himself. And in doing so, when we receive that gift, we have a place at the table of God now and forever. Not because of what we promised to do, but because of what Christ has done for us. This is the good news of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this table, and we thank you, Lord, for this bread and cup. We pray that you set them aside for a sacred and holy purpose, and that you would minister to us by your spirit as we come in faith and repentance. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Jesus' body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this gift. We pray that we find rest in it and that by your spirit that you would be at work in us, that we more and more share forth your image. We ask for your help that we may turn to you and not to the offerings of the world. And we ask that your spirit would help us as we love one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I invite you to stand, that we can respond to this table and receive God's blessing. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ is the bread of life. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, Lord Jesus, until you come in glory. Receive now God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. 
Amen. You may go in peace.